Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Oh, we're starting! (laughs) We're starting the podcast that we have done many a time before, and as far as we know, many a time to come. Mm-hmm. So uh, for this one, we don't know what's to come of this one, we because it's our, our not so serious. All we know is that we're going to talk, and we will, we will talk about something, and uh, maybe find something interesting. Maybe you will find it interesting as well listening on the other end of this. Yes. So, um, and, and we're drinking a beer because that's just how we do it. Mm-hmm. How we do it. Yeah, man. Well, um, lots of interesting things. Going on. I know you've got some interesting stuff going on and, uh, I do have some interesting things going on. I mean, right now I got kind of like this, uh, you know, this whole thing with, uh, being a development exec. Uh, so essentially what I'm doing is, you know, I'm, uh, it's a very, it's a very, great sounding title by the way it's like it is I'm a development exec yeah that's like the kind of thing that just like puts like writers and artists like shitting and jizzing their <laughs> pants at the same time you know yeah i'm a development executive they're like oh oh i don't know what to do do i show you my stuff i'm afraid to show you my stuff yeah <laughs> well it is interesting i mean we're gonna be like i'll be doing pitch meetings pretty soon so i'll be hearing a lot of uh you know a lot of what ha- people have and seeing if we want to, you know, um, either, you know, have some type of acquisition with this content or if it's something that we want to like take further and develop. Um, you know, and I think like I had someone contact me the other day, like, you know, news is getting around a little bit. So, you know, people are reaching out, but, um, I'm not, I'm not a sales producer. That's not what I do. Like I, I'm not like a sales agent. Yeah. yeah. Um, although, you know, I, I, I don't know if I'll ever go down that road, but you know, um, People kind of if they if they're coming to me with a completed project, they they need to have it somewhat packaged. Like mm-hmm. if they they're coming to me with just a concept or a script or something like that or a proof of concept, then you know I'll help take that further to help uh, you know do some type of packaging with it. But um, you know for anybody out there who's interested right now, I mean I'm looking for essentially what are genre films. So mm-hmm. genre films are things that would be at least for the time being, they're things that would be communicated. Uh, it doesn't really matter what language. So they're things that are more in the action horror or thriller genres. Yeah. You know, not really looking so much for the dramas or the comedies, although I'm not going to necessarily say those are out Yeah. because, um, part of my mission with what I want to do is I also want to kind of develop like the alt- a couple ultra low budget stuff, but right. I mean, that's not going to be my primary focus. And yeah. if I'm going to do that, it's got to be like a labor of love because there's not really going to be as much totally dough in that. So we'll um, see what happens. And, and sci-fi that would, that Oh would yeah. Sci-fi be... for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean the people that I'm affiliated with, um, you know, like sci-fi is big because sci-fi is so visual, right? Yeah. So, um, I, I don't and people think... love science fiction. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a funny thing to me is like lots of people are like, Oh, I don't really like sci-fi. And then you're just like, what do you mean you don't like sci-fi? It's like, you know how much shit is sci-fi? That I think it's because people don't necessarily think of it as science, certain things as science fiction. Like, people don't think of, like, um, like when people think of sci-fi, they think of, like, Star Trek or maybe Star Wars. Like, mm-hmm. these kind of, 
you know, these very sort of spacey space type of yes, like stuff. It's like science fiction doesn't have to have it really anything to do with space, you know. And like also, there's kind of like this nerdy kind of idea of it. But it's like, you know, it's like, did you did you like Looper? You know, there's like a a terrific film that came out a few years ago. That was terrific piece of science fiction. Mm-hmm. Well, Looper is a great example. I mean, that's the type of stuff that I want to develop. Yeah. Like things like Looper, and I, I call it actually, I've been coining this term, and pe- I've been hearing people say it, and maybe it's been said before, I don't know, but I, I hadn't really heard it before I started saying it, but I, I call it futurism because I want people to, to, um, to kind of, I think a lot of people when they think sci-fi, they think, oh, well, we're in a spaceship in the middle of space on some other planet, and, like, they go too far, and those aren't necessarily the kind of films that I'm as interested in developing, yeah. although I will kind of go down that road. But, I mean, right now it's more like a futurism in the sense that something that takes place in kind of our real world as it is, but is enough in the future where it's kind of like, yeah, I could see that being possible in the next little bit. Yeah. You know, like... Um, I think when people think of sci-fi, they think of things that are totally out of reach. But if you think of shows like, say, Black Mirror and stuff like that, yeah. that's really in my wheelhouse. That's where I want to build my portfolio. Is you know, and and I'll actually, I think I talked about this on some other podcasts because um, you know my mission as kind of a filmmaker as well, because I'm still making films, mm-hmm. is actually to do like five proof of concepts that are essentially right now are probably going to be focused on futurism. So right, you know. Um, yeah, so I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting things happening right now. It's it's an exciting time, but yeah, I think for people out there, like, you know, if I was gonna give anybody some advice too, like if someone's thinking right now, like, oh, I should send them some stuff. Here's the big thing that I can tell everybody right now, and I wish I learned this earlier, um, but is your work needs to take a risk. If mm-hmm. re- like, and maybe that's something we can talk about today. Your work needs to take a risk. If it's too safe, if it's too common, you literally, like. It, unless your writing is like Sorkin level, like unless it's absolutely incredible, yeah. you're probably not going to get noticed because the thing is, is that you're competing with so many things. Yeah. If it's common, you need to make something that takes a risk that's out there. It's a little unique Yeah. because that's, what's going to get and, the attention. Right. And for me, it's like when, with this word, because I, I, there's a risk with throwing around that word, take a risk. Yes. I, I feel because now like, it's coming from a good place when people say, take a risk, you know? And it's like, it's such a, I don't know what the word for it is necessarily, but yeah, like there's a bit of a, it's a bit of a murky area when you get into like, just take a risk because I know as like an actor being told that, you know, then you start to come up with some bullshit that doesn't come from anywhere. You Mm -hmm. just like take a risk for the sake of taking a risk and it's not founded upon anything. Um, and, and you also don't, now you're trying to like fabricate some sort of, um, something that you think is risky, Mm -hmm. but most likely it's actually not much of a risk. You know what I mean? Like it's, that's kind of the, the trap of it. You know, it's like, so you go, all right, I'm going to take a risk. So how am I going to take a risk? And now you're trying to come up with something. It's like, well, guess what? Your sort of ego, your sort of thing, like, cause now once you've, you're down that thought process and everything. It's like, well, well, what will somebody think of as taking a risk? You know, like what, what would other people think of as being a risk right. or something? And now you're in a terrible trap because now you're going to come up with something contrived right. almost like a hundred percent of the time. To me, I would like to maybe rephrase, like take a risk to, 
um, give yourself permission, hmm. you know, cause so often like some of the boldest things that ha- I have ever done in any of my work is just because I gave myself permission to just like, because you say this, uh, often it's like unhinged, right? Unhinged. I allow myself to unhinge. I allow myself to just kind of like create and explore with, with a greater deal of freedom. Mm-hmm. And then something kind of crazy happens. Something surprises me. And then it's like, and it's those things that end up being the risky kind of things that people say, wow, you took such a risk there. And then you kind of go, I, I don't know. Did I, you know, like I, yeah, it, because you're, you're, you were coming from an authentic place and you made a decision that was original and creative and different, not because you were trying to be different, but because, you know, you, you gave yourself permission to just let yourself create, Mm -hmm. you know, and you come up with all kinds of stuff. Right. Right. And that's the thing that's like going to make you a risk taker. Mm. But otherwise it's like, if you try to take the risk, you end up won't taking a risk. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I like this term actually unhinged, you know, you saying it again, because, um, it's, it's, it's actually probably the most accurate. And I think when, when I think of the term unhinged, it's something that, you know, if you think of a door that's say on the hinge, right, it's going to yeah. go one way or the other, right. It's pretty predictable, but unhinged is like, okay, well, we don't know where this thing's going. And that is kind of keeps you on your toes. Right. And yeah. so, when I say like, take a risk in some ways, I'm saying like, give us something that's a little uncommon, a little unpredictable, a little off the rails, so to speak. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, um, I actually just wrote a blog cause actually our last podcast, remember we said, let's pick a target and yeah, let's yeah. commit to the target. Yeah. Well, so since then I've written a couple blogs so far, um, you know, and I, uh, you know, I've started to develop some other content that I'll be, uh, flourishing out. But on BC Film Academy, what we're going to do is I'm going to post a series of blogs and then I'll, you know, and then I may potentially get other writers. But right now, what I want to do is I want to essentially share a specific kind of information I feel is important, especially with kind of like being a development exec and kind of, you know, as a filmmaker and just a writer and things I can share. But one of the blogs that I want to recommend to people right now is basically it's going to call it's going to either be called. 10 great filmmakers who took risks and launched their career mm-hmm. or how to take a risk as a filmmaker. It'll be something yeah, along yeah. those lines, but you'll be able to find it. You know, we'll make it searchable and whatnot. It's not published just yet, but I, I went through 10 filmmakers and I went, okay, how did these 10 filmmakers take risks and launch their career? And I went over Tarantino, Scorsese, uh, you know, David Fincher, um, Kevin Smith. And I went over how they yeah. all took a risk. Well, let me just give you a couple examples. So Kevin Smith, took a risk because he literally dropped out of film school and he took the rest of his money. He had 27 grand. He took that to make his film clerks. And when he made clerks, he was smart about it. Like he didn't just, he didn't just abandon all the rules of filmmaking. He went and made a one location film, but he made something that he thought would be funny. That was kind of something out of his hometown and gave and, and really spoke his voice. Yeah. Cause clerks was, yeah, he, for him, nobody had done like, he never seen anything that was about like people like him or right. his friends. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a risk. Like that's the kind of thing I'm talking totally. about. Yeah. And Scorsese, like a lot of people go, well, where did Scorsese take a risk? Well, I'll tell you exactly where he took a risk. Scorsese was extremely interested in mafia 
criminal world and he really wanted to he was curious about it and interested in that yeah so he decided to take his interest and start making films out of what he was interested in yeah that's a great risk to to, to just be like i'm so interested in this yeah i think other people will be too and he born the whole criminal genre yeah. oh, and, and for him because like there had been gangster movies in the past but right. um nobody had ever treated it the way that he he did you know with me yeah. in the streets um because I know, because I've I read um, his book Conversations with Scorsese, which if you're a, uh, a filmmaker, you're interested in film at all, like it's a it's a really fascinating read. Right. Um, but he was like for him uh, because his gang movies are very much like they're violent, right? You know, and and he's very often kind of associated with violence. People think Scorsese he makes violent films, right? Though that's not always the case. Yeah. But anyhow. Well, some um, people would say Tarantino's for, even more violent. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for, for Scorsese, he he had basically... He had never seen anybody treat gang violence the way that he understood it. Hmm. The way that he actually saw it happen, you right. know, from where he lived. And that was part of what fueled how he did it. And what's interesting is both these filmmakers, they, they came in with just like, well, nobody's... I've never seen this done before. Right. I've never seen anybody do this the way that I understand it, right. the way that I know it. And the risk is them trusting that saying like, I'm going to show this and I don't know if people want it or not, mm. but this is how, this is my truth. Right. You know, this is, this is what, how I know the world. This is my experience of things. And I'm going to try and find a way to capture that and express it. And it has what we right? talk about all the time. Those, those filmmakers launch their career with authenticity like yeah. literally they took the most authentic thing, which was them. And they, and they put that out. And the thing is, is that if you look at Scorsese and Kevin Smith and, and some of these other filmmakers as well, it's the same technically, they didn't try and copy what everyone else was doing. They, they literally had a point of view and they took it. You know, another uh, filmmaker I take is Oliver Stone. And I break down his, his, mm. his way of watching his career, actually Rob Reiner as well. Oh yeah. Oliver yeah. Stone had, he had a political kind of world message themes, big themes he wanted to communicate. Totally. He wanted, and he wanted to use film as a vehicle to get these messages out. So he made films like Platoon and, and whatnot, right? Like he yeah, made yeah, Platoon, yeah. right? That was, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, uh, and was it born on the, on the, born on the 4th, 4th of, of July. July. Yeah. So he, and he did little... the Doors biopic and I mean, right. Jim Morrison is a very controversial figure and he exposed fame and that kind of world. He exposed the military political war, the disillusionment, and that gave him a voice. And, you know, Oliver Stone kind of became Oliver Stone. If you take, uh, you know, another, uh, so, you know, he, he took his voice, he took something that mattered to him and he put it into his work. And the thing is, is it wasn't just a war movie. You know, that's the thing that people yeah. sometimes miss because people try to make war movies and they miss like what did, what he did with war movies was he actually gave a much deeper, profound thing in it. Right. Um, and another one, Rob Reiner, right. You and I actually met Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner shared this story, which I think is fantastic with Spinal Tap. No one had ever seen a mockumentary yeah. before. He had a vision in his mind that, you know, I want to make this mockumentary. Now mockumentaries are made all the time, right? Yeah. But he, he, no one had known what that was. And yeah. so they gave him, I think what he told us was they gave him only a small, like 10 or 20 grand or something like that. I think really, I remember, I think he got like $50,000 okay. to develop a script or something. Sure. So we went out yeah. and basically, didn't he shoot a proof? And then he, he proved did. Yeah. Cause they, they had written like 10 or 20 pages or something of the script. 
and they're like, this just doesn't like, this isn't getting across right. because they knew, like they all knew in their own minds, you know, how, how the movie was going to go, what it was going to be like. Right. But to try and translate that into a script was next to impossible. Right. Right. Cause you'd be like, how, what, like, why is this? F- I don't even understand. Like it, it, it really wouldn't necessarily work in, in, print, you know, right. like it would you just be like, what the hell am I even looking at? Well, and that's the thing right now we have all this digital, you know, we have access to digital cameras. So if someone was going to try to do that, it would be so much easier. Like he had to actually shoot that on film, yeah. but he, you know, Rob Reiner created a whole genre, essentially a whole style of film that wasn't there before. I mean, look at like, uh, uh, say another one is another person I break down is Tim Burton. Look at Tim Burton. Mm. Tim Burton took the imagination that's in his mind and he started making films that were, you know, the way that he saw them. And I think it's Wes Anderson, right? Yeah, Wes yeah. Anderson created, you know, the Budapest Hotel and uh, Aqua. What's that? What's the other? Oh, the, uh, uh, and the Royal Tenenbaums. Or, like the Life Aquatic. The Life Aquatic. So these directors, they took this image that only they saw in their head and they went out and they tried to um, express a certain style, right? So when I say like take a risk you know, some of this stuff might not be able to be communicated with your script, but we have so many options. Now we have, we can show, you know, packaged picture scripts. We can show, we can go shoot out a little mini proof of concept, you know? And so in some ways, like, as I'm going through this process, I want to help filmmakers like see what resources they have, you know, at the same time. I mean, I think that's why I'm kind of sought after in certain ways. Cause I've literally created a school that develops great talent. Yeah. And then I also have kind of, I'm kind of doing it myself. So I'm kind of the perfect bridge and I have no ego about my own career because I, I just want to help people. So it's given me this kind of really luxury of being this kind of good middleman and kind of, I'm in it with everybody yeah. on the producer side and in it on with everybody in the filmmaker side. And I'm the middleman kind of closing the gap. It's pretty yeah. cool. So, totally. you know, we'll see what happens. And I mean, the way I look at it is my mindset is abundance mindset because I figure like if I'm helping other filmmakers and writers and screenwriters flourish. I mean, that's got to pay off for me somewhere. You know what I mean? Even if it doesn't necessarily happen for me directly, I mean, through osmosis, I could only succeed through what we're all building. So the way I look at it is like, you know, and, and people, you know, I I've heard this commented so many times is like be in abundance, don't be in scarcity. And like, it's so true. I think, you know, the more I, the more I kind of go down this road, the more I see like, it's so important not to be trying to compete with everybody. And it's so important to be, you know, essentially trying to see what you can give and what value you can add. And I think that that actually kind of goes hand in hand with what we've been talking about up to this point where it's like, you know, when you're in that sort of state of abundance, what can I give? What can I offer? Hmm. That puts you in a place where you do take quote unquote risks, right? Right. Because you're, you are, you're, yourself are coming from, f- from a more authentic place and from a more empowered place, mm. uh, to, to just kind of let your like creativity just, just flow, come out with your ideas. But yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's so interesting that like these, like some of these filmmakers that we've been talking about, it's like, it really was them commute, like, communicating something, them going like, I've never seen this done before. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never seen, and, and uh, not just that they've never seen it done before, but they wanted 
to see it done in a way. They, they actually had a desire to show people that, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't just like, well, what hasn't been done before? Mm-hmm. You know, like, cause I think that the, after you asked the question of like, okay, well, what hasn't been done in this genre before? What have I not seen before? Um, but I think the follow-up question to that is what do I want to see? Mm. Right. With this, right. You know, it's like, so what hasn't been done? What do I want to see done? Right. Because I think that's such an important part, especially when you're in like something that really is business, you know, when you are in like, especially, you know, show business, right. Um, it might, I'm sure there's similarities and parallels in, in other sort of industry, but, um, speaking for the film industry, which is such a big thing, it's such a, a product, um, very often, uh, and treated as such that it's, um, I totally just lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, um, well, but, yeah, mean, it's you... like when, when, when it's such an industrialized thing and you're trying to find a way to be, to be heard, to have a message and you're like, yeah. we'll, we'll take risks and, and, and there's so much outside influence. Mm-hmm. You don't want you don't, you don't want a commodity. Essentially. Yeah. You know, you just don't want something that you can get anywhere because it's like, it's low value, you know, like, um, you know, how valuable is a shovel? you know, just in general, it's not that valuable. I mean, you can get a shovel anywhere. Right. So the thing is, is like, you know, if your film equates to being something that's common, like, you know, um, for example, here in our country, like, you know, getting an apple or getting an orange or a banana is a pretty easy thing to do. That's why they don't cost much, you know? Yeah. And the thing is, is that, um, you know, there's, there's something about it. And I think the thing is, is like, if you're trying to have the best thing and it's a commodity, you're basically, you have to have that scarcity competitive mindset. And so, you know, I think really like what, what everybody's ever done, especially with art throughout history is they've done something where they've, they've tried to do something that steps outside of being a commodity and create something that is of its own accord. Now people copy it afterwards. Many people made like gangster mafia movies after Scorsese did, but it doesn't necessarily like, and it starts to be commoditized, right? It starts to become a commodity. But when the first person steps out and does it, it's original. And so, you know, same with, same with clerks, right? Like after Kevin uh, Smith did that, then everybody starts, I'm going to do a one location, you know, film about whatever. The problem is, is if, if you do it trying to copy the model alone, I'm not like the model is great. Copy it. But you still need to find your own voice and that's the risk, yeah. the vulnerability. Yeah. Kind of, right. And like, I think that was actually what I was, I was trying to get back to right. okay. stumble my way <laughs> ridiculously back to, which was, um, you know, it's, I think it's surprising how many, uh, how often artists and especially actors and stuff like that. And people within the film business because of how it works stuff for people to, um, really neglect or devalue what they want Hmm. or what they like in their work. You know, like it's often something that ends up becoming, um, secondary or subjugated to 
again, ideas of what you think people want, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to like, I think it's one of the most important questions an artist needs to ask themselves. It's like, well, what do I want to do with this? Mm-hmm. What do, or what do I want to show in this? Right. Really, truly get connected to, to yourself in it mm-hmm. because that's ultimately the thing that's going to, to help you bring something to life. That's ultimately the thing that's going to, um, bring that kind of sense of, of bold and daring to what you do, because that's the thing that's like, really, it's like, what is the thing that's authentically you in all of this? Right. What is like, and by asking yourself that question of what do, what do I want to do with this? What do I want to see with this? Um, you are inherently connecting yourself to something that nobody else has really done before. People, there may be something similar for sure, but we don't need, we don't always need something that's completely different either. You know, that's the thing. It's like, it's like, you don't have to like completely go somewhere totally crazy. You can just show like a a new shade of something that we haven't seen before. Right. You know, and we go, Oh wow. I've never really seen, seen anything quite like that. And we'll love you for it. Totally. You know, like it doesn't have to, you don't have to rewrite the book here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, how do you see it? And, and uh, like authentically, and what do you want to bring to it authentically? You know? Well, yeah. And I think like, you know, the, the other thing too is, is that it, it, it starts to ask the next question, which is that, who are you? What are you about? What do you value? What do you stand for? And, and the yeah. thing is, is, the reason why I think artists struggle is that, they don't know their values. They don't know the order of their values, if they even are aware of their values. And they don't, they don't know who they are, or what their voice is. I mean, you know, the cold, hard, ugly truth of this is this is what robs artists more than anything in my opinion. And I've, I've been working with more and more people and I've, been, I've done a lot of work on myself and here's what I think it is. I think it's that we've been taught to be a carbon copy for so much of our life that we have been, we've had ourself stomped out of us so much from school and, and all this mm-hmm. that we have basically become masters of fitting in. We've become yeah. masters of being normal, masters of fitting in at the crowd and socializing, which is a great fucking skill. Don't get yeah. me wrong, but it literally is the murderer of, of great yeah. artistic. And, right? and I want to throw one thing in there and as sure. well as, and masters of being right. Sure. Yes. And I think being, of knowing of knowing it's yeah. just like, it's like, okay, well what's the right thing to do here? Like mm-hmm. what's the right, it's like, that'll just kill you. And, as an artist, and we you know, constantly like, like our, what do we do our whole life? Like, just think about it. Everyone stop and think we mitigate risk. Do not stand up from the crowd. You'll get bullied. You'll get picked on. You won't be accepted. What do we do our whole life? We basically, when you're out in public, what are you doing? Why are you doing? Why are you dressing the way you are? Why are you behaving? Why are you lining up that way? Why don't you just yell and scream and go, fuck everybody, fuck society? Because everyone will look at you and you'll look weird and crazy. So you won't do it because you learn through socialization not to do that shit. Yeah. Which is good in some ways because we know we don't necessarily want everybody running around being crazy, but we have to understand that with building a certain skill, we totally suppressed another. Yeah. And so you have and to like learn how to step back out of the, yeah. because the, the thing the mold, is right? that sometimes the world needs somebody to authentically stand up and say, 
hey, fuck this, this <laughs> is bullshit. Yeah, to someone actually to like call it out because you know, right. not all the time people will think you're crazy. Some people will think you're crazy. Yeah, um, but some people might think that you're a hero <laughs> as well. Well, you know, someone had to speak up and say, hey, you know, I don't think the world's flat. By the way, you know, and and people got killed for that shit. People still think that the world's flat. Well, you know. I mean, whatever. I mean, regardless, you know, there's, there's lots of people out there with lots of interesting thoughts. <laughs> um, you know, but the thing is, is like, it, like the point is just looking at it and going, um, okay, well, you know, what, like what, what's like accommodation as a skill, right? Like one of my fate, I call it a fatal flaw because I'm just a storyteller and fatal flaws are part of character. But my fatal flaw was accommodating. You know, I used to accommodate the shit out of everything. And I was really good at accommodating. Like, I was so good at making sure everyone was taken care of and everybody's happy and everybody blah, 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 blah. And the problem was, is at a certain point, I started subjugating my values just to keep everybody happy and keep the status quo and kind of do certain things with with whatever. And, um, you know, and someone once told me, he said, you know, accommodating is a great skill. You've built in a wonderful skill and it's good to be able to do that. Yeah. The problem is, is now look what you're doing. You're subjugating your values for keeping everyone happy or avoiding conflict. So yeah. I had to literally be like, okay, Brandon, don't be a nice guy anymore. Like, you, you know, and everyone's like, well, be nice. Everyone's like, be nice, be nice. You know, it's like, cause everyone's scared of not being nice. Right. Yeah. Like, well, I didn't say everybody, but most people are scared. Like, yeah, yeah. they're like, well, if you're not nice, then you're an asshole. Not true. Sometimes being nice is the biggest piece of bullshit you can be. Right. Yeah. You know, and sometimes you got to just be like, no, like, like you're, you're out at a bar and some dude's approaching you or some person's approaching you. And you're like, like, you're not into it. And you know, you can try and be as nice as you want, you know, like, uh, but at a certain point you got to be like, no, not interested. I don't care if you think I'm mean. Here's an example. We were out in Mexico. We were in Cabo San Lucas, right? Yeah. So a guy comes up to our table and he says, uh, you know, Hey, let me, you know, what, what kind of alcohol you guys like, what are you drinking? Right. And we were talking about Don Julio and, 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 uh, we we're talking about gray goose with some nice alcohols. Right. And he's like, let me get you a bottle. And then one of our friends, it was a couple with us, me, my brother, and a couple. And uh, the couple's kind of like, yeah, 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 go, you know, come and join, right? And this guy's sketchy. He's, by the way, just here's <laughs> a couple notes. He's got a black eye. He's got like a cut over his nose. He's obviously been in a fight. He just looks like trouble. And, um, you know, I look at my brother. I'm like, we're not doing this, right? He's like, no, we're not doing it. I'm like, and we're both like, no, like, no, get lost. Like, don't do it. And like, oh, you're being mean. It's like, we're not being mean. Here's, and here's what, here's what they do over in Cabo. So they see it tourists, a bunch of like, you know, gringos, they come up to the gringos. They go, okay, well, I'm going to buy you a bottle of alcohol, join your group, drink the alcohol with you. When the bill comes, all have already left. Yeah. Now you're stuck with the bill. And so that person drank for free with you the whole time. It's a total scam. It's done a thousand times over. The thing is, is that if you're trying to be nice, you might fall for that. And that's why people fall for this scam all the time. Yeah. My brother and I were, you know, we're pretty pervy to it. We're aware of what's going on. So immediately we're like, no, like we're not, you know, we, we don't need to be nice to you right now. You're actually yeah. a scammer. And the thing is, is that uh, one of my friends, you know, she always points out, you know, social niceties. We need to, sometimes we need to not be willing to not be liked, to not be nice, to be yeah. authentic and be real. To not, to not have to be liked, but to be real. And, and yeah, it's, yeah. and, and some people take that to the extreme where it's just like, and it's like, well, no, because you can, you can go to the other side of that. Sure. Where you're like, 
who's like, hey, I'm just being like, like I'm just being honest, and it's right. like, it's like, oh, well, actually, you're being a dick. Yeah. Like, there's a difference between being being honest and being a dick, and being honest and and being and still showing kindness. Well, you still have to, right? you know, you still, still like, kindness. there's a value in having tact. Yeah. You know? Like, you don't yeah, have to, absolutely. you know, you can be mindful in how you say stuff. You don't have to be harsh, but you know, they say like, um, one thing that I've learned, you know, and actually Ted used to say this too, but it's so true. Like a producer, like if you get fired from a show, you're just never going to be like a Donald Trump, like you're fired. It's not, it's probably not going to be like that. Yeah. It's going to be like, you know, don't worry. You don't need to show up tomorrow. Like we got it covered. Like just, you know, take it. You're getting fired right now, but they're going to come yeah. and they're going to, no one wants to, you know, so the thing is, is like in a lot of ways in this industry, especially in film, you know, people don't want to upset anybody and they don't want to cause any drama. And yeah. like, you know, even at restaurants, they do the same thing when they fire you. It's, it's the, you know, they don't want the drama. Right. So the yeah. thing is, is that people have in their mind that, you know, um, when you make a decision, you don't necessarily have to be necessarily a dick about it. You can kind of like let people down. You can even be honest with them and just say like, Hey, look, like you're not working out with the team here, you know? But the thing is, is like, I think what the problem is, is like, we were taught at a young age that if you kind of speak up or you kind of, you know, you don't keep people happy, that it's a problem. Yeah. And the thing is, it's, it's not your job to keep people happy, but you do have to deal with the consequences of when someone gets upset. But yeah. sometimes it's better to deal with the consequences than to keep them happy because what they're doing is scamming you or they're causing. Yeah. Trouble, or, right? and it ultimately usually leads to a bigger problem down, down the road somewhere. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, my point is just bringing this back to art. You need to be a little unapologetic about your voice. You need to become a little unhinged. You need to be a little less normal. You need to be a little bit more like, who am I? What do I value? What do I care about? And take a risk at standing out from the crowd. You know, like Kevin Smith, I, I, I only imagine what it was like for him. He's in Vancouver film school. He's done one whole half of a semester. He's paid 40, 30 grand or whatever the hell he paid, probably more 50 grand for this course. All his friends are in it. You know, he's, he's taken a risk, done school for half a year and he decides to leave. Like he decides to go against the entire grain. Now Vancouver film school loves to talk about how Kevin Smith was Vancouver film school, but he didn't even graduate the program. So theoretically you could say the first half of Vancouver film school was maybe really good, but like the second half was unnecessary because he went off and made his own film without needing to do the second half. You know what I'm saying? But here's the thing. He went against the grain and he, he believed in himself and he went out and did it. Now he actually thought from what I understand, you know, I've heard him speak about this, that he thought his film was a total failure and that, you know, yeah, like he, he he, didn't know, he didn't, he he did not get, he did not get terrific reviews for clerks, you know, for where it did, did play and, and where did, but the thing is, is that somebody saw it and some people really liked it. And not only that, but one of the persons who saw it was Harvey Weinstein Mm -hmm. who said, I think this is great. Yeah. You know, like I'm going to distribute this thing. And then like he, and, and then he had, you know, made a couple more movies for the, for the, for the Weinsteins. Right. You know, through his career, like, you know, it's, you're not, you're never going to please everybody. No. Um, so just get rid of that notion right now. In and your you head know, that, that, that that's ever going to be a reality that you can please everybody. So the bet, the best thing you can do is to at least be yourself right. and to really be authentic and, and to go down that route, go down the difficulties that come with trying to be 
truthful and authentic. Cause that's really the struggle of, of the artist I think is like, is just how to be more and more honest and more right. and more truthful. It's better to, to go to have that struggle. Um, than than to go the other way, hmm. like with it, than to just try and please everybody and, and do what you think people want. Cause people don't really know what they want. You know, like it's like, it's, it's such a, I don't know. Like, it's just, it's such a fickle thing yeah. that you just go, it's like, you know, you, you'll never be able to answer the question of what everybody wants and what anybody wants. You'll never be able to please anybody. So it's just like, and, and if you try and just do something for the sake of taking a risk, it's like, you're probably going to come up with something that's not risky at all. You're probably going to come up with something that's like, that you saw before actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, it, it's, it's a better struggle to engage in with being like, okay, well, what do I like, how do I really see this? What do I really want to bring to the table? What gets me excited? What gets me fired up? like the idea of showing people this, Mm. does that get you fired up? You know, like, and if that does, and it might be something that makes you go, Ooh, right. Like, and that's a good thing. Mm. That means you're taking a risk. That means you're making a real risk. Right. Um, that's actually in line with, with kind of who you are. Mm. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I, I agree, man. I, I think like, uh, you know, I think with this, with this, like what we're talking about too, it's just, you know, people, people need to also not be afraid to fail because the thing is, is that the only way you will ever take a real risk is being okay with falling flat on your face and then being like, yeah, I might, and I'll get back up and I'll go again. And the thing is, is that, you know, I think that you're going to fail a lot more than you're going to succeed. But when you succeed, it's going to be fucking awesome, you know, because you're going to find success in different ways. And like, you know, it's interesting, like, you know, I've talked a lot in previous podcasts about this little script love loss that I wrote, right? Well, no one that I know is chomping at the bit to necessarily produce that film, but I can't tell you how many doors that film has opened for me just because like I've had so many people come back, like the dialogue is just written like so well and the emotional impact you know, I'm getting like great feedback on all that stuff. And I think what's happening is it's, you know, I was talking with one of my producing mentors about this. I said, well, you know, this is why I wrote this film. Partly I had this calling. I had this, I just, I just felt like this is a love story that needs to be told. I've never seen anyone tell this story. And then I said, the other reason why I wanted to write this story was because I thought about it and I thought, you know, I've been doing all this like commercial shit. And I was like, if I could make this interesting, where nothing is really happening too much other than a couple people like kind of in a room talking. But if I could keep people flipping pages doing this, just think about what I could do when I start writing like these bigger high concept stuff. And they were like, they basically didn't, but they basically gave me a high five. They were like, that's exactly what you need to do. They were like, that's so brilliant. Like this is exactly it. And I thought, well, you know, that's the thing is like, I wrote a script that proves that I can make two people interesting in a room. Now, if I can do that and I can put it into a great concept, then, you know, then I can really figure out what I can do with stuff. But, you know, the thing is, is that some people could look at that script and they say, well, that script's like kind of a waste of time because it will never sell. Well, I'm going to make it, but it's, you know, theoretically like being like a hired screenwriter, that was kind of a waste of time because I could have put my time and effort into another script and potentially maybe move that forward. Yeah. But you know, if you try to do what everyone else, you think everyone else wants you to do, it's not only is it heartless and empty, but it's like, 
you know, you're never going to express your voice. And so Love yeah. Less for me, that script was simply just, for me, it was, it, I don't know, that film has given, that script has given me so much confidence and so much, um, it was just cathartic and it was great, you know, yeah. for me. So the thing is, if I wrote it for everyone else to like it, then I think I would have done myself a disservice. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, I, I, like I work with a lot of writers now and writers always ask me like, well, what do you do? I always say, write a lot of scripts. Cause like most of the scripts I've written are not get, not made and they're not going to get made. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the thing is, is that this, you know, it's, I'd almost say that, you know, it's at a very like gracious number, very, very gracious would be like three to one, but it's not even that it's more like seven to one or 10 to one. So that meaning that you should write seven scripts to get one made or 10 scripts to get one made. Yeah. And that's, that's the, that's the level that you need to function at. So, you know, if you think about it, you make 50 grand for a script, right? On a very low minimal level, right? So if you think about it, you, you should be writing a script every month. And the thing is, is you should be writing about seven to 10 scripts a year if you want to be a paid working screenwriter. I mean, those are the odds because one of those is, you know, per year may get made or at least may get optioned or may get enough of it. And the, and the thing is, is like a lot of your films might not get made, but like the thing is, is that if you're making enough money to keep writing, you're winning at this game. That's really all it is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think from a creative point of view, like look at painters, right? Like many painters painted many things that never sold until they died. And then all their work was worth a whole bunch or, they painted all their life. And then 20, 30 years later, they finally sold something. And then everyone started to look at their work in hindsight going, wait, all this stuff's really good. So I think the thing is, is you need to be kind of in this for the long haul as well. Like if you're trying to do this from the get rich quick scheme, I think it can work. But like the way I look at it is it's a, it's a stage process. You know, like I'm at this stage in my career, I was at the, the last stage I was doing the writing, you know, before that I was doing something else. Like there's stages, you just move through it mm-hmm. and you don't know when things are going to work or if they're ever going to work, Yeah. but you kind of got to enjoy doing it and try to find yourself in this whole crazy wild journey. Yeah. Right. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think the thing is, is that authentic, like, I think if, if, if I was to say to people like, yeah, take a risk in your work, don't do it because you're like, this is my surefire way to succeed. Do it because it will be fulfilling for you and it will give you a certain sense of pride in your work. And then, you know, at least you'll have created a bunch of like work that you're proud of. And I think that will lead you somewhere. I mean, that's, I I don't know. I can't necessarily prove that, but I think that like my theory is that if you keep doing stuff, that's like inauthenticity with you and you stay at it, eventually something is going to stick somewhere. It's going to work. It's going to open some door. And I think as you go through this, just really understand that, especially if you're in film, that it's a people business and that your work, what's more important about your work is that it's, it's what connections your work get you more than what your work does for you. Mm. I'd almost say, quote me on that. It's, it's the connections your work gets you more than your work does for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it's the people that make movies. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds so simple, but people seem to forget that, right? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it takes a lot of people to make a movie. Oh yeah. Or a show. Yeah. Or to do any sort of great feat that has occurred or occurs on a day-to-day basis in, in our world. And you know, like it usually is a lot of people coming together, right? You know, it's not, it's never just one person. 
Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, is like, I mean, I think the most ideal creative film crew would be a whole bunch of people that come together and are really, really authentic. They'll probably make something that's really fucking spectacular. Because I mean, what do we hire like these big name actors for? They bring something. Like if you hired Daniel Day Lewis, not working anymore, but if you hired him, you'd know he'd bring authentic Daniel Day work. You know, Meryl Streep's going to bring that work, right? And like, like we look at these stars, like, um, you know, that they are, I don't know, they are exceptional. But I think the thing that also helps them to be exceptional is that they're doing something that's really like unique. Like if you look at Johnny Depp on Pirates of the Caribbean, right? He brought what he thought Jack Sparrow should be and people didn't like it, but he did it. You know, and I think like, you know, that's a risk. He took it. I mean, the thing is, is he was able to take a risk because he was Johnny Depp and he had earned himself to that spot. I think other people are not always going to like your risks on their risk, right? But you need to kind of earn the right to take a risk. So the best way to do it right now is start taking risks, you know, so that you can kind of, (laughs) it's weird, right? It's like the catch 22. It's like, well, wait a minute. I can't take a risk until I've earned the right to take a risk, but I need to take risks to earn the right to take a risk. It's like, exactly. Yeah. You kind of need to do both and you'll find your balance, right? Yeah. Cause like, you know, it's all balance. It's all balance. As we discussed, it's right in, it's right in our tagline on the show. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk about this beer? How are you liking it? I'm really liking it. I mean, it's hot and, uh, not the <laughs> beer out, itself. The beer. <laughs> it's hot out and, uh, this, this beer is, um, real light, real refreshing, going what down you- real easy. <laughs> what do you think it is? Well, I'm going to say this is some kind of a, some kind of a blonde. That's okay. what I'll say. It's a blonde. All right. Okay. Well, this is a Strathcona special and it is, um, their premium Pilsner. Okay. Yeah. Strathcona's premium Pilsner. They got a real cool can. I always like Strathcona. Like everything that they've been putting out has been really awesome. Yeah. And their craft brewery, you know, over on, uh, East Hastings here in Vancouver. Um, yeah, yeah, everything that they've that we've ever had of theirs has been just solid, mm-hmm. if not exceptional. Yeah, and it's consistently like really great stuff. So yeah. I don't know. It's really also if you're ever in Vancouver and you want to go to one of the craft beer spots, it's a really really nice location. It's just really well designed. It's very open. Um, the people every time I go in there to grab a beer, the people are just really awesome. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You know, I, I mean, I, I really like the craft beer community in Vancouver and I mean, I've yet to venture out much out of Vancouver into other craft places, but, um, you know, to other States and whatnot, but I find what's neat about the craft brew, um, kind of community is people get together, they talk about beer and then all of a sudden you're connecting with someone and you're not talking about beer, but the beer brings everyone together and it's just kind of a nice, it's great because, you know, I think like, a lot of people go out for coffees and stuff today, but you kind of get your coffee and you don't talk to anybody and you just kind of head out. Maybe in other places it's different, but I find in Vancouver, like people, like I went to grab coffee today. No one talked to really anybody, um, who was there yeah. getting coffee. Like some of the people may be sitting down, but I looked at people on the communal table and everyone's just working. No one's talking to each other, yeah. but you go to a craft brewery and you sit down at a communal table and everybody's like communicating and they're talking about the beer. What are you trying? What are yeah. you doing? And, you know, and then all of a sudden everybody's social and you've, you've made a, a friend for at least the day, if not, you know, someone to hang out with, 
you know? Yeah. It's neat that way. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think beer, you know, because you're going to drink alcohol. Most people aren't working. Right. You know, that's kind of the difference, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, you're drinking coffee because you need focus. <laughs> right. I mean, some people still go out and have coffee and are just social with coffee. Right. You know? It's maybe a bit of a lost art. Yeah. But, um, but beer makes it kind of, yeah, a nice, easy segue into, into talking to other people. Yeah. Loosens you up. That's why we drink it on the show. <laughs> Loosens you up. That's where it all started. Leads right? to all the confessions. Yeah. Leads to all the confessions. Well, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think with film, I mean, uh, you know, so something I've been doing as a bit of an exercise is I've been going on these screenwriting blogs, right? I've been going on, uh, um, not blogs, but, uh, Facebook groups and things like that. And, um, you know, and I've been just reading the comments and the questions and things that screenwriters are asking and filmmakers are asking. And, you know, I got to say, um, my reaction was, to be honest, was like, I felt really, really sad. I started reading some of this stuff and I, my, my heart started to break because I, I think sometimes I forget that I've been able to kind of be kind of on a bit of an inside circle and get people who are giving me really good information and like who are giving me real feedback and really help me understand the business because I was reading what some of the people were talking about, a lot of the people, and I could very easily see that they did not understand the business. They mm. did not understand the film industry. They didn't know how things to work. They didn't know what questions to ask or who to talk to. And the people that were giving them the, the advice clearly didn't know what they were talking about. And I thought, man, like, this is really heartbreaking because these people probably really care and love this stuff. And the information they're getting will literally, like, if they rely on it, will literally stop them from ever having a career. Like, it's sad. It breaks my heart because I think like, man, like, it's just like misinformation and it's the blind leading the blind and Mm. it's people not having like really good mentors and and, and a lot of posturing I see too on a lot of these things. And yeah. I mean, I've joined a lot of them now and I see a lot of people trying to basically be like, I, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And you can tell kind of, um, you don't know anything for sure, but you know, you see it consistently enough. You start to see like, well, they're probably just posturing right now. They're just talking big. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because I, I, I think they think they're impressing someone, but even if they did, it wouldn't matter because they're only just impressing their peers. And then it just becomes this competitive one upping about bullshit. Yeah. And so it's like it bunch really, of people, a bunch of people who feel insecure, who are just trying to like make themselves appear that they're not right. And yeah. I mean, granted, I mean, some of these things, you know, there's like tens of thousands of people that are involved in these Facebook groups, right? So Um, obviously not everyone is speaking, but the people who are part of it, if they're reading this information, trying to figure out, you know, resources, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're not necessarily getting the, the, the information they need. And so it really, um, it kind of was a punch in the gut and it really made me realize how, like, you know, like one of my big struggles the last few years has really been figuring out like, what's my purpose? What's my mission in life? Like, what do I really want to do? And I wouldn't say that this is all of it, but part of me, I like, and part of the reason why I think I do this podcast too, is I really want to help artists like have an understanding of the business and be able to take like great art and figure out how to like make it work in this industry of film. Right. And so it really made me like want to get up and like start like that, like start writing shit and making shit and creating videos and creating courses and and figuring out how I can reach my audience so that I can help them. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that 
there's a lot that I have to learn. Like I, by far, am not necessarily the most knowledgeable, but I think the little bit of knowledge that I do have is some pretty solid knowledge, you know, some pretty solid wisdom and experience, um, you know? And so like, it really, it really makes me want to help people. It mm-hmm. really makes me, cause I think about myself at like 17 when I was starting this 16, 17. And I think like, God, like I'm, I'm so lucky that I met certain people along my path and I, you know, I juked right when I could have juked left, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and I say some, in some ways I look back at my life and I go, man, like why'd this fucked up shit have to happen? Like that wasn't lucky at all. But all in all, I'm like, well, you know, I, I feel like shit. I mean, I've gotten paid real money for writing a script. I've had producers hand over $10,000 cash in my hand. And, and I've, I've, I've made a film with like multiple cameras and had actors that are on TV shows and stuff like work on my shit. I'm like, sometimes I have to stop and go, okay, well, you've done some things. You're, you're not like, maybe you're not working with Leonardo DiCaprio yet or ever, but you're doing some things, you know, and how did you have that chance? Someone, people had to come along and, you know, just the fact that I'm born in Vancouver, I think is like, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And it's a curse sometimes, you know, it's Mm. beautiful because we have this amazing industry with so many talented people and so many people get their start here. The same time where this crazy service industry that doesn't produce our own work enough. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's kind of a, it's a double-edged sword, but it's, you know, it's, it's something and I'm here and I go, well, shit, like if I could help a few people kind of get a leg up, like, you know, and I find too, like the thing is, is as you help people, people help you. And so it just really kind of this last week has really gotten my, it's got my gut stirred, man. It's just got me kind of going like, shit, people need to know this. And mm-hmm. like, it made me think like, shit, we got to get this podcast out there. And I know like we're, we're kind of just gabbing and we're talking a lot and people might, might not want to sit through that, but at least I think we're really trying to put good information out. And I think like, it just hit me how important it is mm-hmm. that you have people out there who are really trying to give you real good information because it's not just about, I think what we've done so far, at least up to this point is we haven't been just trying to get numbers of listening to people. Like we're not doing stuff just to get as many people and make as much money as we can. We're just trying to, we're trying to work it out ourselves. And I think we're like trying to share it with people, mm-hmm. but I think there's a lot of bloggers out there too, who are just trying to get numbers on their blogs. That's all they care about. They just want readers. Yeah. So they want thought provoking titles that don't give any information. Yeah. Like I, um, you know, I'm going off, I know, but I, I, I'm not going to say who, but I went to one particular site and they're, you know, they're like this resource for helping you screenwrite. And they have these PDF books you can download for free. And they're like resource guides. And I started reading some of the resource guides and I'm like, Oh my God, this is shit. Like this is <laughs> terrible, but they're, but they're marketing really well. And they're yeah. putting up this stuff and they have really thought provoking titles. Like that are going to make you like when, when I read the title, it was like, Oh my God, I found an amazing resource. But then I started reading the content and I was like, this content is shit. And so it, what that tells me is either they're misinformed and they're sharing their misinformation or they are just really all about building their brand through marketing and whatever. And the content yeah. is just secondary because they know how to title and they know how to market themselves properly. Mm-hmm. And I think like, in a time right now where we have like social media, where people can target market people, we're going to have people basically creating titles and images that 
um, basically provoke us and get us to look that way. And meanwhile, they distract us from looking at something that's valuable. And, um, you know, something that's very common is a lot of the best artists are not the best marketers. And that's why you won't see a lot of the time the best content won't get seen because a better marketer will often get shittier content in front of someone before a great content writer or person won't because they just don't know marketing. And so to me, like, you know, it's kind of ambitious to try, but I'm like, well, at least I can try to get my voice out and try to find people who I believe in and try to like, we can work together to get our voices out. And maybe through that, we can build a real hub of people that go like, no, like this is where you need to look. And then we're not going to be able to stop misinformation. But if there is a good resource out there for people and people go like, I do this and I get results, like it really works, then people will share it hopefully. And the other thing too, is I want to just make a call to artists. If you find good content, don't hide it from your friends. Immediately reach out to everyone you know on your social media and share that content. Mm -hmm. Like not ours, but any content that's out there. Because here's the thing, give, give, give. Like don't be competitive and be like, I found information and now I'm going to have a one up on my friends because they won't have that information or these other people. No, get it out there. Like those people are going to help you. And try to build a community of people that are going to share content with you because like, don't try to have the, the, I hate that cutting edge bullshit. That's not how this industry works. And people who do that, they have that scarcity mindset and they just hold everyone down and they hold themselves down. Yeah. We need to have this abundancy mindset where we're constantly going. I found something valuable. Here you go. You might find value in this too. Yeah. 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 Like I know like for me, part of like, my, my sort of vetting process for people who, who want to come in and work with me in, in my classes. Yeah. Um, which I've just like, am now in like introducing, but like a bit of a, like, like it's more of an interview, mm-hmm. but you know, part of the thing that like I'm looking out for is like, I'm looking for people's intentions into coming to the class partially because, um, I'm, I'm weeding out people who are coming there for that kind of thing that like, Oh, I want to be on the cutting edge or I want to have that edge. Mm. I'm looking for that edge. And it's like, this isn't for you, right? This isn't the, that isn't the the mentality that you need in order for you to actually learn from me. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's not like a thing that like to, because it's going to be a waste of both of our time. Right. You know, it's not just like me being like an asshole and saying like, no, Mm -hmm. you've got a bad attitude. It's saying it's like, it's like if, if that is where you're at, then you're not going to be able to learn from me. Mm -hmm. Like you're like, you're going to be wasting your, your time and your money. Right. You know, because this requires a different sort of approach, you know, coming in. Right. So if you're looking for an edge, if you're looking to try and have a leg up on, on everybody else, no, like you're not going to get much from this class. Yeah. You know, like you, like there's, yeah, there's just a different mindset that, that, that I'm looking for, for people who are coming in. And I think that's, you know, I think that's so important because also with your, with your business model and what you're trying to do, you know, to do that in class one-on-one, you know, thing, you can only see so many people with your time. And so, you know, you're, you know, and I think like for people who, who do that model, it's like, you're really developing talent and you want to, you know, you want to start people from the right place from the right mindset. You know, um, like my business coach, uh, Lee, like he, like 
if you, you wouldn't be accepted into the, into, into that business school, if you were like blaming, like that was a big thing that they really weeded out. And actually on our, on our meeting, on our call, it wasn't with him. It was with, you know, one of his um, sales associates, but you know, she was actually trying to see where I was blaming and she was kind of mm. going like, what, what, you know, and then I started, you know, at first I wasn't really, but then she kind of pried it out of me a little bit. And I said, well, you know, I guess, you know, I kind of feel like my dad never supported me and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, well, and then she helped me though. At the same time, she went, well, do you think that maybe, you know, you're, you know, you're in a different generation and you've been able to kind of express your emotions and do your art and maybe he hasn't. And mm-hmm. then maybe that's kind of the cause. And I think, yeah, you know, that's probably true. And she kind of really <laughs> helped me not to blame. And I was like, yeah, and it was great because she was seeing how much I blamed, but at the same time helping me work through that. So I wasn't being blamey because Lee knows that if he brings people who blame the world into his business, when his business, when, when they, cause they're not doing the business doesn't work for them. He's going to, bl- they're going to blame him mm. as opposed to themselves. So he's like, I don't want anyone who's a blamer. I yeah. want people who take responsibility. And it was beautiful because they brought me through the process and they actually helped me weed out where I might blame or make excuses for myself. Right. And so that taught me a lot about how to help other people because, you know, I, I fully expect that not everybody's going to come to my courses being like 10 out of 10 motivated, 10 out of 10 inspired. Some people are going to come in and be like, you know, I really want to do this, but I don't know. And I feel like I never really had a chance. And they're like, that's okay. I can work with that. Yeah. But if someone's like, you know, just got a bad attitude, like there's a certain point where you're like, okay, I don't know if I can help that, but mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But it is important to draw that line because you know, it's like that common saying, reap what you sow, right? Like yeah. whoever you bring in, becomes the basis of what you set the tone for. Yeah. I was curious. So we did our task over the last, uh, meeting. You were going to write down seven things about your business that were, uh, like to to give people value. Yeah. 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 Do you want to share a few? Um, Oh, I'm just trying to think of what (laughs) what they all were. Is there anyone that one of them that stood out for you? Um, any one that stood out? I mean, I think one of them that actually surprised me that that kind of stood out was I wanted to, um, hold like, like periodically, um, hold sort of a a space for, um, for, for me, I'm not sure if it will be exactly past and present or potential students, but I was kind of thinking like of more so of, of students who have come, come through like my classes and hold a periodic event where everybody can come together mm-hmm. and, you know, do a little bit of work, like freshen, freshen themselves up, but also like creating a community mm. was something that I was like, Oh yeah. Like I'll just like hold a space for people to come. We can work a little bit and that'll just be something I periodically do for like, very, very little cost, like very little to no money. Like maybe like it'd be whatever the space is that I'm at. Like I have to pay like the, the rent for that kind of thing for holding this space for, you know, two or three hours or something, but just, yeah, having, creating a, creating community was like one of the things I was like, Oh yeah, that would be really fantastic just to keep everybody together to have like a common thing. Just like, Hey, listen, like we're doing one of these this month, like Mm. come in and, and like see everybody and do some work and like, and connect. 
right? You know, that's, it's, I think that's great. I mean, the number, when I did interviews for like building the beta for the school, um, or the, the series of betas, um, that was the number one thing people wanted community more yeah. than anything. I mean, people want <laughs> like a real community, yeah. not like this bullshit community where it's just a bunch of people. Like they wanted people who they really felt they could reach out to and call and they could trust and that people who were supportive and, um, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I think figure out how do, how do you nurture a community that has that, you know, abundancy mindset, that sense of, um, wanting to help and build and give value. Right. And I think that's great. I mean, like, because like, if you think about it, like there's certain acting schools, I think they do it. Um, but they become sometimes cliquey and it'd be great if you could begin to create a community that was not just a clique, like oh, we're better than everybody kind of thing, but like a community that kind of was like, okay, well we have a certain kind of way of doing things. And like, let's, let's try to attract more people that are like our group, you know? And then what ends up happening is I think if you build a real community, you end up never having to talk about your business because everyone talks about it for you. If you build something real in some ways, you never have to really do anything about it. Like, I mean, because I think there's one thing you're always going to have haters, no matter what you do, but Mm. when people find real value that gets real results and like really helps them, they, they tend to want to talk about it and share it and tell everyone about it. And if they're in the right mindset, well, I know I say, right. If they're in that sharing, giving abundancy mindset, they don't, the only reason why someone would restrain something valuable is if they're in a scarcity mindset, because they feel they have something. And if they give it with everyone else, what they have won't be valuable anymore. Mm -hmm. But like an abundancy mindset person says, I found something that's really valuable and you're my friend. And I want to make sure you get this value too. And it only enhances the value that both of us will have. That's like people who succeed in my opinion, have that abundancy mindset. Mm -hmm. People in scarcity might get small victories, but lose ultimately, I think. Um, and so I think like, yeah, if you can form a community that can kind of, plus also like past students who can connect with current students and like people can kind of, you know, continue to, yeah, you know, blossom together. That's really cool too. Cause like, you know, as you do this business, I mean, you're just in the beginning stages of it, but like having someone who was in your first early classes, um, who went off and succeeded, be welcome back. And then someone who's new, or whatever they did, but they can kind of, you know, intermingle and everyone can kind of evolve together, you know? Yeah. And maybe collaborate on something. I mean, that's ultimately kind of where I would see it going. It's just like, you know, you create this community of people who, um, have sort of a, a connected sort of outlook. Right. On things, you know? Um, and, and then to be able to, to come together and say like, Hey, let's collaborate, let's do something. And then eventually do things like put up shows, put up performance art of some kind, whatever that is, you know, like whether that's through film or stage, or maybe it's something, you know, totally off the wall, right? Like something, something very strange. I think more and more these, these days. And from what I understand more like, um, actor training, is, is going, is gearing more towards like a, a broader sense of performance art. Mm. Like, yes, you learn how to act for like in industry as, as we understand it, but also to expand the scope of what you think you do mm. and be like, well, how else can you use 
these skills right. that you've learned how what's another way of performing for people that is not necessarily what we normally think of as an actor's job mm. so I find that I find that very interesting you know to to explore explore the the realm of what what an actor does and, and to and I think it's important because I think actors have have really strayed a long way from um, from from the artistry mm. Uh, and I recently actually I, I shared this article. I'll see if I can find the link and I'll and I'll put it up on the blog post for this one. But it was um, a person who's an actor and is now like a teacher and, and an acting coach and stuff. And he said like, and he broke down what people's like what's wrong with people's conception of what an actor does. Mm. And but he doesn't. He did a great job of addressing why it's kind of very difficult to do, Mm. you know, like why is it so kind of like hard to pin down the artistry and the work that an actor does. Right. Because, you know, like he makes the comparison. He's like, you know, a violin player. Yeah, you can see that. You see that they had to learn a certain set of technical skills in order to play the violin because you could have picked, you could try and pick up a violin yourself for like five seconds and play it and be like, Oh God, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. And you leave it at that. You're humble. You're like, wow, they're really great at what they do. Actors are not really like that. You know, it's just like, it's, it's a much more subtle work that's going on, but it's no less, um, challenging and difficult to learn how to do. Mm. Um, but it's just like, it's kind of misunderstood what goes on. I think even actors themselves kind of misunderstand what they're doing as well. Yeah. Um, or what they're going into. So that's part of what I, I, why I teach what I teach. Cause I'm like, I, I just really wanted to, again, this was me coming into teaching from a sense of, um, I want to see this. Mm-hmm. I want to see this because I didn't, I haven't seen this before until somebody finally showed me a little bit of it. But even now what I'm doing is a little bit different from the person that I've kind of learned what I teach from. Right. Does that make sense? <laughs> I think it made sense. You agreed. <laughs> but yeah, it was like, it's, it's from a sense of it's like, I, I think that this is something that isn't being done and it's something I'm really passionate about showing people right and and helping direct people towards because i think that there's a lot of misconceptions a lot of um kind of like uh, strange ideas about what actors do and how actors see themselves as artists or don't see themselves as artists so it's like let's let's engage a little bit in that mm. let's kind of uncover and discover a little bit of, of what that is yeah because i think that's just that's just so foundational to what actors need in order to have longevity. You know, it's like you learn, learn, learn all the technique, learn how to, you know, uh, the technical skills of, of performing on stage and having a strong voice and having, you know, a, 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 a an able body to, you know, to perform the, the physical elements of things. It's certainly important as well as having the knowledge of how to be on camera or how to, like so people can see you on stage and these are these are important things and those are all teachable things and learnable things I'm more interested in having sort of not not that I can teach it necessarily but 
open up a conversation mm. with actors and bring them into an experience, a, a contact with um, something that sort of murkier, murkier process mm. um, of what they do. Right. Because I'm like, nobody's really engaging with that. Not mm. at least in, in my experience. So that's, uh, that's kind of how I want to make my film. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great, man. Yeah. I, you know, I'm actually Linda who did the mastery. I'm going to, I'm joining up with her class, uh, probably here next month. And, um, that's going to be a lot of fun. I really like, you know, I've, I've always liked working with her Yeah. and, um, you know, I think that's going to be fun. And I mean, I'm not as focused on acting these days, but, um, you know, the, the, I'm not going to walk away. I'm not walking away from acting by, by any means just yet, but I mean, I'm more focused on the producing and filmmaking and, you know, uh, moving a little away from, away from the writing again. But that's the thing about film. What I love is like, especially like where I've kind of gone with my career is like, I kind of do a little filmmaking, kind of do a little producing, kind of do a little writing, do a little acting. Yeah. And it's like all these things and they're very different, but they all kind of relate to each other. And I think like, um, and you, and one, th- something that you learn in one of them seems to like apply to the other one. It totally does. Yeah. yeah. And you know, um, one thing, uh, one thing that, uh, I think, um, you know, I think like, uh, there's this whole thing, like I, I was working with one of the artists who, um, you know, I'm kind of developing right now as far as like one of my, in some ways I'm kind of becoming a bit of a manager too. We'll, we'll see what happens. I'm not going to be a man. That's not my plan by any means, but yeah. in some ways I may, uh, inadvertently become a manager just because I'm developing talent. Um, you know, but, uh, I was working with, with this artist and, and I think one of the things that they really appreciated about me was that I got their struggle as much as I could give them good, like advice on like kind of the producer side and the reality of the business. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is like, um, I think that's, that's kind of positioned me in a unique way because I think like, uh, you know, um, there's something about being able to work with an artist that not all producers can do. And there's something about being able to understand the business and like, you know, um, one of the things that I'm trying to negotiate in my life and, and live by is working with my strengths and not trying to be anything that I'm not and really just focusing on what I'm good at, you know? And, uh, you know, um, I think that, you know, I start, I haven't actually finished this book yet, but called strengths finder, but it was, it's been a good book. It's really shifted my perspective on a few things. Gary Vanderchuk actually talks a lot about this, but he's like, stop focusing on your weaknesses. Stop trying to get better in all these areas you suck at. Focus on where you're good and double down on that shit. And that's what I'm doing. And you know what? I can say like, I think Gary's advice is really good. And I think this book strength finder is right on the mark because once you just start putting energy into things you're actually good at, you actually can make shit happen. And the thing is, is like, if I'm not good at something, I'll just get someone else who is good at it. And that's, and that's where the team building comes in. Right. You know, because, um, my old model was a little bit like, I'm going to be great at everything. And I'm just, I'm going to do it all myself. I'm just not great at everything. I mean, you know, and like, and none of us are, we we have strengths, you know, um, and, and that's like team sports are a great example of that. You know, some people are forwards, some are defense, some people are wingers, some are centers, you know, whatever. But the thing is, is that we should position ourselves and put ourselves in a place where we can flourish. And then when we need assistance outside of that, we go and find those people, you know, and, um, you know, and I think that that's really one of the things too, that, you know, I'm beginning to kind of embrace at this juncture in my life, you know, is just, 
Why not? I mean, you know, if you have a vision and you have an idea, like with your, with your school, same with mine, you know, whatever we're doing, like we should just do what we care about. Right. And the rest will follow, Yeah. you know? And I, I think like, that's the best advice I can really give anybody because I mean, it's the advice that I'm taking myself. Yeah. You know, you know, and, and you know, maybe this is a good time to just like wrap this, like, baby, wrap up. this baby up because yeah, yeah sure. like I think yeah. that's, you know, this whole, like we've, we've talked about like, the idea of taking risks or which I would maybe say it's like, well, which is giving yourself permission Mm. or becoming unhinged, giving like allowing yourself, um, to, to be you, to, to create what you want to create, to have passion, to do what you think, um, is interesting to do what you like, you know, uh, that's, that's kind of like, really, really the key as far as building, building success. Um, and, and is how you end up taking, taking risks is, is by just doing what you care about. Like it's, you know, it's so simple, which is probably why it's so often overlooked as as most things. Right. Um, and this has been a really cool conversation. Like for sure. I've enjoyed this one. Yeah. It's been really great. You know, I think it's, it's really true. I mean, you know, I think you said something earlier in the conversation, which has kind of stuck with me throughout the call, but it's that, um, you said something along the lines and I, I'm going to do a classic Evan and misquote you. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Even from an hour ago. I, I, hope, <laughs> I, I dream of like a world that misquotes me. <laughs> but, uh, you just know, to be mentioned is yeah, nice. <laughs> saying like I think it was something along the lines of we constantly undervalue what we're actually like we're good at or what our abilities are yeah totally or we're capable and I think like you know that's so true and I think like for me at least it's so true and I think you know really what I'm going to take away from this call is I'm just going to go away and continue to look at um where I have things that maybe I take for granted but shouldn't take for granted so much, you know, it's not serving me because, um, I'm realizing more and more. And, you know, it's interesting when you work with people, you kind of get feedback and you start to realize like where you might like, well, I'm finding where I know something that isn't common knowledge, but to me, it just seems common knowledge, but I forget because I mean, I've been doing this for almost a couple decades, right? Like, so the thing is, is like, you know, there's a lot of shit I take for granted. So I think what I'm going to do, this is my, this is my homework. I'm going to go away from this and I'm going to just kind of look at where do I take for granted hard, real life wisdoms and lessons I've learned in my life that are really valuable for people, but maybe I'm not appreciating because I just think of them as normal. Like for example, raising money for a film is pretty normal to me now. It's not a, it's a normal fucking thing. Yeah. Uh, writing a screenplay, uh, negotiating a deal on how to get paid for that screenplay. Um, you know, uh, working with people, um, hiring a crew, things like that, you know, that, um, for someone it's the first time they're doing it. And I forget because I literally walk around like, like right now, a lot of the time, like I was just born with that ability, but I wasn't, I had to learn and it was hard. And I remember, um, making one of my first films. And I remember calling the music composer and being like, you know, and they were a Leo winning, which is like Vancouver's top, you know, whatever. And I was like, 
nervous and I don't know and I'm like listen I've never composed music for a film I've never like told anyone what to do I don't know how to do it um you know and and she later thanked me and said like you know I'm really glad that you were just honest with me because we didn't have to like deal with all the ego shit right you weren't pretending to be anything you weren't I was like but I had to make that call I had to do that I had to sit down with her and she made music and and she told me tell me how you want it to feel and so I did and then I learned that like that's I had to go do that. I had to make a film. I had to put, yeah. you know, time and what an amazing thing that happens when you're just, when you drop the shit and you're just honest. Right. Because like, even like just getting, when you get honest with yourself, what you're then able to produce with the stuff that you just, that you actually do on your own. You know, if you're writing a script or you're preparing a part on, you know, by yourself, you're going through, you know, you're doing your work, you know, there's a value to being honest with yourself, but then what happens when you're honest with somebody else, you right. know, you don't bullshit there. And suddenly there's a whole new conversation that opens up that just like gets you closer to where you want to go. Right. And right? like right there, I mean, you identified that out of my experience I shared. And that's part of the reason why I need to, like, I think what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to write out my story of how I learned to be a filmmaker. I'm going to write it out. I'm going to write out what I went through. I'm going to write out what it was like making my first film, making my second, making my third, you know, making my 10th. I'm going to write it out. I'm going to write out the lessons I've been learning along the way and just go like, okay, I had to learn that. And this is how I learned that because I think that's going to help me to start to impart knowledge on other people and share. And I want to like, cause I'm kind of being doing the development thing. I want to be able to help my clients like, or my people who I'm developing, I want to be able to help them to actually like do this shit, you know? And, and, um, I want them to feel like someone has their back. So, you know, for me, I'm going to kind of re I'm going to write out my story so that I don't take my story so much for granted. And that's my call to action for everyone else. Write out your story, like figure out what you learned along the way and, and, and see what you take for granted. Cause that's what I'm going to do. Cause that's what this conversation has taught me. It's really made me aware that, um, I'm undervaluing the the hard earned life experience that I've gained. And you know, honestly, like when I talk to my producing mentors or any other producer, who's just a a great contact, I want to know their life experience. I want to know their story. I want to know how they learn those lessons. And if they share that with me, it's literally the most valuable information ever. So duh, why don't I do that? Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Build real connections. You build real community. Yeah, it's funny, you know, it's so obvious, but it isn't obvious until you kind of... Yeah, we always circle the same things. It's funny, it's like you like you go into these different topics and yeah. whatever, and you kind of branch out, and then all of a sudden, they just kind of funnel to like a couple of like the same things, Yeah, and you're like, oh shit, are we back here again? <laughs> are we back to being honest? Yeah. Like, be honest, tell the truth in your work, and... <laughs> And you in your life and amazing things happen. And yeah, yeah. honesty is, a, is an interesting thing too, but honesty, it's like, it's not that you're trying to lie or deceive. It's just that you don't know to tell the truth about something that is, because yeah. I think the thing is, as you said it earlier, but it's, we take it for granted because it seems so simple and so obvious. Yeah. Right. That's the thing. And so it's weird because it's like, we shouldn't be looking for complex things to answer questions. We should look at very simple things. And I think like the last several podcasts we've had, it keeps, I keep getting hit over the head with the same thing. It's like, look at your nose, quit looking like a fucking mile away. Like it's right here in front of you. You already are there. You just can't see it because you're so focused on something that you feel like I need to get here. It's like, no, you're like, you're kind of already there in a way. 
Because if anyone's even capable of listening to this podcast, they've had enough life experience. And if they listen to the end, they've literally obviously are connecting to something. So for them, like what got you to that point for this podcast to make sense? You've lived some cool shit. You must've because you know, it's landing with you. So I think the thing is, is, you know, my, my kind of call too is a little bit like, you know, the exercise I'm doing and saying is like, let's self appreciate a little bit. Let's look at where we, what we've gone through, you know, we got here, you know, and maybe we're not, our dreams aren't as big and as grand as we thought they would be by this point, but that's okay. It's still pretty fucking cool, man. With these crazy autonomous beings doing amazing <laughs> shit. Yeah. Jump down that rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to call it. You good? Yeah, yeah, okay, I guess I won't say anything. Then. Oh, no, you got... Oh, say, sorry, dude. I, I yeah, no, that's up. fine, though. You did the great no, job. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, mine was mine was um, <laughs> simple. You know, this was a good reminder for me of something that, like, you know, kind of like... like I already knew this, but, you know, to, to remind myself, like, to... Like, one of the first things to check in on is, you know, what do I see, see in this? What do I hear in this? You know, like really establishing that connection to myself in something. What do you mean? So like, you know, with, with a part or, or a, a working on a song or something, it's like, you know, it's just like, where, like, what do I see in this? What do I hear in this? What, like, um, you know, like those questions that I was going through, through earlier, you know, that, that are important to, to ask yourself, what do I want to bring to this? Oh, right, right, you know, okay. like what, what do, what do I see? What, you know, like, where are you? Where are you first? Like in all of this, you know, before you get, you know, too caught up in, in, um, in trying to, to solve you know, this part that you're playing or the song that you're working on, you know, it's just like, like, where are you? Where are you with this melody? Where are you with this character? What do you see? What do you see? Because that's, that's like, that's where you, you begin before you start trying to go, okay, well, we could, we could work with this chord structure and, and we can, and all, you know, before you start doing that kind of like head game, you know, like really just like dig into just like, to what are your impressions? How do you feel about this? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, just like establish you as a person who is valuable. That's why I say you should, why you should do it first. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're an actor and you're working on a part and you're, you're going, you're going through like the scenes, you're going through the script and you're, and you're going through it and going through it. And before you take a, like, before you take a, a pen or a pencil to that script and you start writing whatever the fuck you write on it, you know, take, take a moment to like, for yourself on a, on a sheet of paper or however you want to do this and write down, it's like, where, what do I see in this? Hmm. What do I feel about this? Right. And get that out there first, because that's how you're going to get some value, like how you're going to understand your own value in what you're doing mm. because it's, and it, you have to do it first. You have to do it first because it is going to set the tone for you subconsciously. It's going to say what I'm bringing to this is, is what comes first. Mm. 
you know, and then the rest, yeah, then you do the rest of your work for mm-hmm. sure. I'm not going to argue with whatever the rest of your process is, but make sure you do that. Find you in it first. Find you in it first and, and, and where you, where you sit with it first. Maybe that's another way of putting it. I don't know. And then, yeah. yeah. So is and then a- give yourself permission. I- and I give myself permission. I'm a hundred percent on board with that. And, uh, how, how might you say apply that moving on? Like what, what, what what's a, what's a way in which we could do that? Like I'm on board. I want to do it. Yeah, no, for me, it's like, it, what do it, I, like do? I, I like writing. Writing okay. is a great way for me to, to find, to sort of explore these types of things. So, um, with, with the new, like any sort of new song that I'm working on, any part that I'm working on, any um, story idea that I'm working on, uh, as far as script writing, cause I'm trying to like, how would you do that for a script? Because it's not like you're working on a part, but you're working on a story. And normally for myself, when I get an idea for a story, it's just like, it, it's just kind of like a, an impression of something, you know, it's just like, it's yeah. kind of a, it's almost like, um, like a, like a Monet or something, you know, like the, um, uh, impressionist, it's almost like an impressionist painting, you know, where it's like, it's not clear, you know, it's just like, like you, cause you're kind of up close to it and, and it's a little bit fuzzy and you can sort of make out a little, some of the images, you know, it's not a clear picture, but you're seeing something Mm -hmm. and then just going, okay, what do I feel about this? What do I feel about this kind of this general snapshot of the story that it's kind of entered my awareness. It's mm. kind of entered into my being like, like what, like, what do I think about this? What do I feel about mm. this dynamic, this story? What could potentially happen here? What do I feel this is about? Get into those feels people Get, in those feels. Get into those feels, and then just write out, write it out. I don't, and, and write it out as fast as you can. Mm. That's another piece of advice I can give. It's like, write it out as fast as you can. Don't give yourself too much time to think about it. Just write that write that shit out. It might not even make sense grammatically or, you know, it's not the point. Mm. The point is just to get that stuff out, find yourself within it, you know, find where you sit with it because that's, um, that's, so so tell me this, tell us, tell us this, how are you going to do it? How are you going to, what's, 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 how's Evan going to do it going forward? Like, how are you going to write out your feels? How am I going to write up my feels? Yeah. Moving forward creatively. Like give us like, I just oh, want pat, a hard pat and paper is usually, okay. is, is, so you're going to like work on a song and like, just go like, this is how I feel. Like how, how do we, how do we do Yeah. That? So it's like, you know, like with music, it's like, normally I'm just like kind of, I'm just kind of dicking around. Right. And I find a chord or okay. I find a, a couple of chords together and I'm like, there's, I'm like, I'm like, Oh, there's something something to this or something so that when I you're, like about so this. So you're playing guitar. So like, I want, I want to go through this process because yeah, yeah. I want to like actually do this. Right? Okay. So you're playing guitar and you, and you, and you, I've done this before. I'm not a great guitar player, but yeah. I've strummed, you know, a chord or a combination. I'm like, Ooh, that's nice. Yeah. So I'm going to do that. Right. And then, and what, what do we do then? Like we go, Oh, that feels good. What, what do we do? Yeah, yeah. So like play it for as long as you, you feel it. Cause sometimes you just kind of got to hear it for a little while. Okay. Um, as, as most things are, I find it's good to like, let things kind of stew in you a little bit, you know, before you act. Okay. To like, like sometimes it's good to let things kind of stew before you start making any decisions. But you know, you find it. So if you find like a melody or something, and you're just like, Oh yeah, it's good. You play it. And then, and then what you do is you pull out like a piece of paper and a pen 
and you just go, okay, everything that I was like, that, that was here and like, what, like, how did I feel about that? What kind of images were, were coming up for me? Like, what do I, what, what do I think this is about? Mm. What do I think this is about me? You know, like that's like me. What do I think? What's my experience of this? What is my experience of this? Tell me about what these chords are about, what this melody is about. Right. Mm. You know, and the same thing with the part, you know, you read through it over and over and over again. It's like, okay, well, what do I think this is about? Mm. You know, again, it means throwing out that idea of what you think is right. What's the right way to do it. There is no right way to do it. What's your way of doing it? Mm. Right. And that, and, and again, you've got to connect to yourself, connect to, right. to, to where you sit with it. And, and so then you would go, yeah, you, you go over your part and then you start with just like, okay, what do I think about this? What do I feel about this? Mm. How do I see this? And then just, and just write out everything that's coming to you. Just like write it out as, as, as fast as you can do it, you know, and until you, until you're totally blanked totally blanked, you know, nothing's too big, nothing's too small. Just, just spill it, Hmm. you know, because that'll, you will find absolute gems in there. Hmm. You will find absolute, like, you know, some stuff you'll be like, Oh, that's just kind of dribble, whatever. It doesn't matter because within there, you're going to go, Oh yeah. I promise there'll be little, little things in there that make their way through that make it, that are the core that make your performance that make your song that make your script what it is. It's a lot about, it's a lot about trusting your feeling to make the unknown known essentially. Very, very well put. Well, that's essentially the native American education style is like that. Mm. It's actually, uh, you know, um, and it's something that I've been kind of embracing. It's interesting because it's actually like kind of, there's these little nuggets of like mad wisdom in, in, you know, in these, uh, kind of tribal type of learning type of ways in which mm-hmm. people had to actually go out in the world and they had to trust their feeling and their sense of body and, you know, self and intuitive senses. Yeah. You know, and they didn't like... have, um, they had like in, for example, like imagine you're in a tribe, you can copy your elders within the tribe and out on a hunt, but then you're out on your own. Yeah. You'd have to, in some ways start to learn to like, what are my instincts telling me? Yeah. And Artists, artists yeah. have to work from intuition. Yes. Whatever the fuck you think about that, you know, maybe you think it's mojo. I think if, if you, <laughs> mojo. if it's yeah. a bunch of, you know, mojo voodoo, who like woo woo <laughs> shit, you know, it's like, it's like, yeah. man, let me tell you something like into like, you might disagree with me, but I'm coming out there and saying it. I'm like, intuition is a, is a thing. Right. It's, and it's an important thing right. and you need to get in touch with that shit if you're not you know, like it's, it's going off in us all the time. Mm. Like, it's just, it's that weird sense you get about a person who wants to come and buy you a bottle. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) You know, you're just like, "Mm, no, no, no. It's like, you know, it's, it it could be informed intuition. Absolutely. But like, you know, there's just, it's, it's a feeling place. And that's where wisdom comes into play with intuition because you get wisdom. It helps inform your intuition because intuition, like, I think you have to learn how to read it in yourself. Cause like, you know, when you have a sense like, Oh, something's wrong here. The first time you have that sense, you might not know something's wrong, but like you probably had as a little kid. And so then when you have it as an adult, you've kind of learned to go, Oh, that feeling when I had that feeling before it was something was wrong. Yeah. And like, um, it's kind of, 
it's having that confidence to trust your intuition and your instinct in a sense and, and how you're feeling and to kind of, you know, um, cause you, cause I think when you honor your instincts and your intuition, a lot of the time, what's hard about it is that it works out, but you don't know if it was cause you followed your instincts or intuition that it worked out. But we usually know when we don't follow it and it doesn't work out, we're like, yeah. shit, I should have trusted my intuition. I, yeah, exactly. You're like, I knew something was yeah. up. I knew something was up. Yeah. 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 You always know and until you know. Yeah, man. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Well, uh, that was good, man. Let's, uh, let's call it a day. Thanks everyone for tuning in. B and E podcast. Follow us, share us. Blam. Yeah. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family, or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.